So hello everybody and welcome to the Growth Mindset as podcast with me, Jay Arnott. I'm a coach based in the northeast of England. And the Growth Mindset as podcast is really about interviewing little people in the world who are making a big difference with their unique mindsets. And today on the line, I've got Adam Evans, who is an outdoor coach and he has an interest in many other different things. Pleased to meet you, Adam. Hi, Jay. Pleased to meet you. First of all, could you tell us a little about, about where you're based and what it is you do? Uh, well, I'm based geographically uh, in Staffordshire in the UK, but the nature of my work takes me all over. So uh, geography is just a physical hurdle. I just jump over the place and go to it. So I will move uh, physically around the UK and uh, occasionally time to time I'll come out of the UK for wherever I'm needed. Yeah. So yeah, it's not a problem. So what's your kind of official job title <laughs> <laughs> well i remember a conversation with a wise man on, a, on an island somewhere that said uh, you know what's your what's your job title and i, I struggled for a bit mm-hmm. uh, so what i now say is um and, and i let people ask questions when i give them the job title i i describe myself as a as a wilderness guide and a wilderness a, guide, yeah. A wilderness guide and right. a personal development coach. Because you know, most people want to put you in a box and say, oh, you're an accountant, you know, you're a fireman, whatever. And I just say I'm a wilderness guide and a personal yeah. development coach. And if they right. want me to expand on that, then uh, I will expand on that. So who are the people that have inspired you to get to, to where you are now? Because when you say the word wilderness guide, I, I get images in my mind of people like... Uh, Ray Mears, uh, Grey Owl, who's the other guy? Um, there's a few other different people. Um, what's the guy? Uh, Mason, Bill Mason, people like Oh, Bill that. Mason, yeah, Bill Mason's yeah. A, an amazing guy. I guess um, I, I guess I was quite lucky in my, uh, my early childhood. Uh, I was deeply, deeply inspired by my sister mm-hmm. and my now brother-in-law. Uh, and they went off to do uh, an Everest trek back in 1976, 1977. So I was a wee slip of a lad. Yeah. I remember them building up for this big Everest trek. And I, I definitely would pin that down as a fundamental um, uh, role model or experience of other people's doing. Uh, I realized the world was a bigger place with some huge cultures in it. Yeah. So these guys went off and did a trek to uh, Everest Base Camp. And this was back in the days when you didn't have tourism in places like Nepal. So everything was done uh, rustic and rural, and they trekked in for six weeks. So that was a big development for me to, to see that you could fly around the world and go and do pretty cool, pretty amazing things and come back a, you know, a more rounded, bigger, more experienced person for it. So that would say that would be the fundamental thing for me. And they got me involved in... Um, in doing outdoory stuff. And from then, it's just been different people who have been mentoring me through my life. That's been a pretty cool experience. Yeah. So that obviously sparked off something inside of you emotionally to take some kind of action. I mean, what was the, what was the action that you took in order to start your journey in, in the outdoors as a wilderness guide? Well, it's one of those things where it's, a, it's a, like a 15-year overnight success. Where <laughs> <laughs> you work your backside off for years and years and years, yeah. all the kind of the Johnny jobs. And then uh, suddenly uh, you, you kind of, you pick up uh, the more exotic type of work, the kind of stuff you dream for. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I remember a conversation with a, a good friend of mine who was a, a trekking guide. And this was probably about 15, 18 years ago. And she'd got some beautiful photographs on the inside of her house of some of the treks she'd led up places like uh, Machu Picchu and uh, Kilimanjaro, some really you know, big, exotic places with gorgeous photographs of African tribes people. And I'm there salivating at these pictures thinking oh god i want to go there i want to go there and i got ever so jealous and i said oh you're so lucky you're so lucky and she looked me in the eye she was a wise old bird she looked me in the Mm -hmm. eye and she said you want to go you'll go and if you keep on your trajectory you'll get there anyway long story short that very same person was the person that drove me to the airport to go on my very first expedition abroad where i worked for the british archaeological survey and she sat in the departure lounge of the airport and said there wisely i told you i told you you'd get here and that was 10 years later so that was a pretty cool experience to be to be sat in that airport land with her and she was waving me off on this big exotic trip which was bloody scary <laughs> yeah so the archaeological survey was that in antarctica uh, that was in jordan all right nice that was in yeah. jordan that was a really cool uh, cool experience and that was i would say that was the, the pivotal point where i was pushed out of my comfort zone um i went from being you know this is easy this is comfortable to being dragged into something that was quite scary uh, yeah. i did a i did a bit of training for a, a professor of archaeology in the uk on on cave safety mm-hmm. and she did a couple of days with me and then said how do you want to come to jordan for six weeks and go down caves and look after archaeologists and of course the fearful side of me said hell no no way i don't know anything about that yeah. and then her argument was well is there anybody else that's going to be more equipped than you no, but that's not the point. <laughs> <laughs> so I took a, I took a trip to Jordan, mm-hmm. spent six weeks out there, and uh, it was a, a pivotal role uh, when I went from being really easy and comfortable in the UK to mm-hmm. fully stretched, uh, yeah. responsible for other people in a country where there was no rescue teams, no backup, and it was all on me. And that was that was pretty fundamental in my development. And took yeah, about, so you're really out of your comfort zone there, but in a good way. Oh, yeah, massively out of my comfort zone in every way, in cultural way. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. I'm in a totally different culture. I'm, I'm living with people I've never met before. And I'm, I'm having to, to work along uh, professors of geology to find caves, to get into caves that no one's been into before, yeah. and risk assess the caves, and then take the archaeologists in. And that, oh. was, that was pretty scary stuff. And it yeah. was I petrified half the time. Uh-huh. I I would say it's pivotal, pivotal in the change of my mindset. I suddenly realized that uh, there was so much more to do in the world mm-hmm. and anything can be done as long as you are um, skilled enough and trained enough and gently pushed enough by someone who will do it with you. It was yes, great. I like that, yeah. Skilled enough and gently pushed enough, yeah. Cause, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You have to have, um, you've got to have the skills. Let's yeah. face it, you've got to have the skills. If you haven't got the skills, People are going to have problems. Yeah. Uh, but you also need to have someone who's, who's going to gently push you. Some people have got a high level of motivation inside of themselves to go and do things. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and other people need a, need a bit of a shove. And I will look back at myself now and say, yeah, I needed a bit of a shove to kind of get myself out of the comfort zone. And yeah, changed my life because, because of it. So that initial image that you had in your head, that, that's probably something that was very compelling for you, that image. and. Did it lead to feelings that initiated the actions in the first place? Uh, certainly, the, the images in my mind were of uh, of you know grand locations in in exotic parts of the world, uh, and there's, there was lots of photographs available about some of the classic places you went to. Yeah. Uh, so of course, I had a, a tangible idea about what it would be like. 
Um, and of course, there's this, this paradoxical feeling of, I want to go there, I want to go there. But there's other half of me saying, yeah, but you don't know what it's like and it's going to be scary and you're going to be on your own and there's going to be so much. That was just doing a really good job of of kicking me. And um, I had to have a sit down and have a little quiet conversation with myself. Mm -hmm. And I was very lucky because uh, there was uh, my mentor at the time was doing a good job of pushing me and expanding me at the time as well. Brilliant. He was was not letting me wriggle out of the situations and and push me towards things that would be good for my development as a career. Yeah. So do you think it's important to have a mentor that pushes you in a, in a gentle way or more like a Tony Robbins way, like, yeah, come on, you can do it, get off your ass. Is yeah. it more important to be gentle? Um, for, for my particular mentor was, uh, I'd say, beautifully English. Tony Robbins is uh, an you know, extremely big guy, and he's got that <laughs> kind of uh, ostentatious American way about him, which works beautifully. Um, was, was my mentor was brilliant. He just shut down all the excuses. He just cut off all my options to get away from things. And when I ran out of options of saying no, the only option left was to say yes. And he actually physically did it in front of me. It was brilliant. Uh, yeah. It was a really cool, cool experience to realize that uh, someone else was orchestrating my life and taking the excuses away, which I thought was wonderful. Once you run out of excuses, you've got no, you've got no options. Mm-hmm. Great. There's a big thing in the NLP world and the personal development world where people say never use the word try um yeah but yeah i think try can can be useful when there's context of where you've been pushed gently you don't yeah. have to do something but yeah. you can always try and see what where it leads i i actually i'm very aware of the word try and i mm-hmm. use the word try when i'm doing guided visualizations with people to make them aware of the potency of their language yeah uh, so instead of using the word try, I, I use the word let's see, let's find out. Yeah, I love that. It comes back to the curiosity thing. It's a big talking yeah. point at the moment. Yeah, and it's getting, uh, it's getting away from this, uh, this, this mindset of success or failure, a very polaric way of looking at the world. It worked Definitely. or it didn't work. So, well, there's a grayscale here. We, we haven't got black or white. We've got a whole ton of gray in the middle. Yes. It's, it's a much nicer way of doing things. So let's see, let's find out as opposed to let's try uh, and did it fail or did it work? It's like, well, that's not quite life, is it really? We can, yeah. we can, we can improve and we can develop and we can, uh, we can, we can use our language to uh, get, get a much more subtle way of doing things. I think that's what you'd have to do with me. If you took me on your climbing adventure, um, <laughs> I can't just go straight up the wall like that. And I have had a climbing coach before and he did exactly the same thing. He says, you, don't look at the whole climb, just do this little bit here. Yeah. And before I knew it, I was at the top of the climb and it was because he was gentle with me and my progression came in the form of a, a curve, a nice curve. And I felt very satisfied at the end. Mm-hmm. We're not, it's okay to begin with the end in mind, but sometimes it's, it's just as nice to look at that initial step. Absolutely. Um, I think that's probably one of the reasons I, I love the outdoors um, and I, I work in the outdoors, not just as a, as a physical tool. I work in the outdoors as, a, as an emotional tool, as a, as a personal development tool. Yeah. And I'd say one of the biggest things that people do is they get, they get themselves overfaced by a problem. They look at the big climb and go, I can't get up there. Or they, they look at the big canoe expedition and they go, I can't paddle all that. Uh, or they look at the big trek and they kind of get overwhelmed by the multiple steps they're going to have to take metaphorically and physically to get yeah. around the trek. But if you, if you just live in the first 10 minutes and, uh, and you can keep that next 10 minutes going, you'd be amazed what you can achieve. Yeah. 
uh, you know, how do you eat an elephant? You eat it one bite at a time. <laughs> I don't really fancy that. People keep telling me to eat an elephant, but yeah, yeah. It's, it's little chunks, enjoyable chunks, little morsels that yeah, absolutely. eat the bigger yeah. things. And, and timing and timing the chunks and, and recognizing when certain sections are going to be quite tricky. Yeah. But, um, I, I did a, a canoe expedition many years ago and we were, we were driving down the length of the river and this was an 80 mile canoe expedition. Um, and the, 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 the road crossed the river at a couple of key points and it crossed uh, at a big set of rapids. And we foolishly got out of the car and looked at the rapids and we were all looking at thinking, Oh my God, we're, no, we shouldn't be doing this. It's the rock. Whose idea was this? This is crazy. We shouldn't be doing this. And a little voice in my head said, shut up. That's five days away from now. No idea who you'll be when you yeah. get there. Yeah. Pile down the river. And then five days later, the, 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 the muscles had got stronger. The, the, the mind had got stronger. The skill set was much, much sharper. Mm-hmm. So when we got to that big set of rapids that I was you know, particularly worried about. We cruised it. We cruised it with style and grace. And it was like, <laughs> what were you worried about? And, and that, happened, that happens so much in the outdoors. People worry about the, the, the big part. And they get to the big part, and they've developed so much that they just, they just cruise it. It's great. Yeah. So it's kind of a metaphor for life and business in general, really, the, old, the outdoors. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. That's why I use the outdoors. It's, it's a literally an instant feedback tool, and it's a metaphor for life. You know, what you look at when you're when – you're, um, when you're paddling your canoe, you will get. So if you look at the big hazard, you'll hit the big hazard, which is a really good metaphor for life. If you concentrate, concentrate on the problem, then you'll get the problem. If you concentrate on the success, you'll get the success. And it's, yeah, that's, it's, what, that's one of the things I've noticed with leadership on rivers, especially if you're in an open canoe, if you make one mistake, you're swimming. And yeah. the person who's uh, guiding you to safety, who's already down the river, is pointing to where you need to be, not pointing at the big rock. Absolutely, absolutely, and that, that's you know, that's classic NLP. If you think about it, you, uh, from day one in NLP, you're told not to think about the things you're not wanting. <laughs> so, focus on the rock. <laughs> focus on the rock. I don't want that. Well, why are you thinking about that then? Yeah. So don't think about the purple cat and the purple tree. Instead, yeah. you should be thinking about what you want and focus all your attention on it. And I can certainly say I've seen a clients of mine that I've coached. Uh, in in wilderness environments, and they've, they've turned around and said, "Well, what rock in the river?" And we go, "Well, did you see the rock you paddled past?" They go, "No, go, yeah. good, because you were so intent on getting the correct route and taking the correct line and doing things correctly, mm-hmm. the hazards, the things that you might put you off your game, were not even, not even in existence for you." So yeah. that's, that's a really good metaphor. So yeah, I was having a discussion a while back with you know Ken Hughes. Yeah, yeah, uh, the canoe coach. Mm-hmm. in the United Kingdom, and um, we're having a chat about attentional focus, about focusing on exactly where you want to be. And Absolutely. You know, sometimes Absolutely. You, you can have that time distortion where time just flies past, or rather than seeing the whole of the river, you're looking to your next point mm. of safety, then the next point, then the next point, and yeah. breaking it down to chunks. So attentional fo- focus is a fantastic subject for me. I, I really love the concept of it, and... Uh, yeah, I mean, is there any examples of that in your work in canoeing, particularly? Oh, God, yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I, it's ironic you, you were talking about Ken Hughes because I was actually out paddling on a river with uh, Ken a, a few months ago, and um, I was actually working with a friend of mine, and I noticed he kept uh, struggling on some of the sections of rapids because he was constantly looking 
uh, at the bow of the boat and he was constantly looking at the hazards and uh, all I said to him was literally look where you want to go look ahead of the boat look 20 meters downstream because that's where your actual target is it's not two feet in front of the boat it's 20 meters down the stream and all he did was lift his eyes up and look at the, the bigger picture and process more of the general information and he got a much better result awesome. doing it. yeah so this is a question that i ask everybody on these podcasts what does the growth mindset mean to you ah oh, the growth growth mindset means to me um it, I, for me it, it means continued learning through your life okay mm-hmm continued learning uh expanding your schema constantly learning new skills and expanding your schema um and i'd say also hunting out uh, new experiences and honing the skills if you there's a lot of people that will go through life and they they have this artificial concept of once they've left school they've stopped learning or they've qualified in something and they stop learning and i think that's a bit of a shame yeah. And if you have a growth mindset, you'll be constantly developing your scheme and your skills. Mm-hmm. And if you have that idea of learning, then if anything comes up in life that you don't know how to do, then you have a better mindset for going, I'll find out how to do this. Mm-hmm. Rather than thinking, I can't do this, or I can do this. Yeah. Then you think, well, I can find out how. I get a lot of people say to me, um, I can't do what you do. And there's no way I could go abseiling into a cave. There's no way I could climb a mountain. There's, there's no way I could paddle a canoe down white water. And I reply, well, of course you can't. You haven't learned. Mm-hmm. And they kind of look at me a bit gone out. I said, it's, it's just a set of skills. It's mm-hmm. just a simple set of skills. And I remind them that they, they probably learned to drive a car. And the first time they got into the car, they probably felt overfaced by all the things they had to do. They had to deal with the clutch. They had to deal with the accelerator. They had to deal with the handbrake. And they had to deal with the steering wheel. And they had to deal with the mirrors and signals and indicators and all those things. And they were felt over, very overfaced. They probably felt quite nervous. But now they'll get in a car and they'll drive it without thought. And it's just because it's a set of skills. And it's having that mindset of pretty much most things you want to do in life, you can learn how to do if you have the mindset to acquire the skills. And yeah. it's... It's two sort of sets of skills, really. It's, it's physical skills, you know, the actual picking the object up and handling it manually. Yeah. But it's also the, the mental set of skills by saying that, you know, I can learn how to do this or having the curiosity to learn, which mm-hmm. I think that's the biggest thing for me in terms of mindset. Yeah. Is it important to be able to see your way forward or, or not? Because sometimes when you want to learn a new skill, you just can't see the way. You can ask people can you visualize what it is? And sometimes people just can't visualize. So is it important actually to be able to see what's up ahead, what you actually want or, or not? Not, not for everybody. No. Um, some people don't even know what the end goal is. Uh, some people just need to learn in, you know, the next 10 minutes. Yeah. And, and, and that for some people is, is, is enough. They, they can, they can develop in 10 minutes or half an hour. And they realize that in that 10 minutes and half an hour, they've made a, a measurable step, an appreciative step. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, and then they get a, a sense of um, accumulation of skill, mm-hmm. and, and at that point is is really useful. Sometimes it's it's not that great to have a specific or fixed goal because sometimes we can actually limit ourselves with goals. Yeah. Sometimes we come, you know, overly sensible goals that are far too uh, tangible. Yeah. And 
that, that can be too easily reached. But sometimes if you just keep acquiring the skills and inquiring the experiences, you move past those goals into things that you never thought you'd be able to do. And I can think of stuff I've done with clients who've had that personal experience themselves. They now do things that, you know, two years before they thought would be impossible mm-hmm. and they're doing them and they're doing them and they're getting featured in magazines. Yes. And then there's, there's other people um, who've done the same stuff in different arenas. And I can turn around and say, I've done the same stuff myself. There's no way 15 years ago you'd have said to me, I would be doing now what I, would, I, I, what I am doing. There's no way I could imagine living the life I'm living. But uh, it's, it's all a set of steps. So you don't need to see anything, but you do need to, to take some type of action. And that's an emotional action. You know, I'm going to do this, the emotional commitment. Mm-hmm. I want to do it. And then you have to take a physical action as well, because it's not just all about talking. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I mean, what's with the environmental connection? Obviously, <clears throat> excuse me, um, you work in the outdoors. It's an outdoor setting. It's dynamic. It's different. It's natural. Um, why don't you do what you do in a training room or a seminar or a classroom? Well, I, I do both. I do yeah. both. So I, I will. Um, I certainly do uh, small lectures uh, on uh, thinking strategies at university and use NLP uh, for coaching people at university. And I do that sometimes with my clients when I'm working with them in a in a more let's call it a more domestic or a more corporate setting. Mm-hmm. So I, I do that, but I also work in the outdoors. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, I want to have the unique ability to be able to do both at the same time. So yeah. for me, the outdoors is is a really really good tool um, because it's it's a nice it's a nice environment. People are far less distracted in the outdoors. They don't check the phone as much for a start. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> put the phone off, put it in their bag, and they, they forget about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, outdoors it seems to have a much more. Um, I can't think of a way of describing it. It's, it's just it's just less allows people to focus uh, because it's a, it's just a much more natural environment. That uh, they they their whole demeanour changes and then they they feel a little bit more connected with themselves. So that's why I like the outdoors. But the other thing I like about the outdoors is it gives people instant feedback. And it also gives people uh, immediate lessons. Yes, the outdoors has got um, so many things in it that people are apprehensive of. So uh, it's great because you're in you're in an environment that has got immediate challenges rather than just a you know a theoretical environment like a corporate environment or a domestic environment. Mm-hmm. You can you can talk about um, focus attentional focus in, on a flip chart in a in a corporate <laughs> environment somewhere, and you can talk about communication and team skills in those environments. And it doesn't mean after a hill of beans, because when you you take it out to uh, a real environment where those skills are utilized and you get instant feedback, there's a a much better uh, form of teaching in the outdoors than there is uh, on a flip chart or a dry whiteboard in an office somewhere. Yeah. I'm a big fan of bringing environment into my work, into my NLP work, my hypnotic work, my my coaching work. It seems to get thrown to the back of the queue in our our Western world. you're obviously aware of things like Maslow's hierarchy of needs with environment, Robert Dill's neurological level, and environment's yeah. always at the bottom. How does it um, appear in your work? I mean, is environment important to you? Um, is there any way that you give back to environment? Or I don't know, how is it presented to you, environment, in your work? Because it seems so prevalent. 
I'm just trying to think about how, how, how do I give back to the environment? Well, <clears throat> in my values, when I'm working in the outdoors, I make sure that I have as reduced an impact as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, and I make sure that there's education passed on so people can conserve the environment. So that's my, my value system saying that how I give it back. So that's one part of your question. Um, the other part of the question was uh, how I use the environment. Is that right? <clears throat> or, or the value? Yeah, how, do, how does it appear in, in your kind of value stream? Um, yeah. And do you value environment? I mean, you're in the outdoor environment all the time. You're using it. Um, mm-hmm. Is there any ways that you give back to that environment um, through education or I'm trying to think of how I utilize the environment. It's, it's one of those things that you've asked me a question and I probably do, but I've never really sat down and thought about it. Mm. I've, I've probably, I'm probably aware of how the environment is a very useful tool Mm -hmm. and the environment does its thing for me. And I, I very, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, I don't don't have to orchestrate the environment. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I don't deliberately, take anything from the environment to employ in my work. The environment yeah. is just sort of there. I, I very rarely have a plan about how I'm going to use the environment. Yeah. It's just kind of there because the, the reason I don't have a plan about how I'm going to use the environment is it's always changing. Yeah. It's always changing. It's, it's, you know, you, you, you plan to go and do a particular activity on a day in a location and guess what? It's raining. Oh, and now it's windy. Oh, and now it's sunny. And oh, now we're in a boat. Now we're on a mountain. So, I guess I don't plan to use the environment and uh, I probably think uh, off the cuff an awful lot yeah. and just, just use it as it is uh, and how it presents itself at the time. I think the reason I presented that question was because a lot of the times we just do things on autopilot, don't we? I'm in the outdoors. I'm using the outdoors. Yeah. And when I was in the outdoors working in New Zealand on a glacier and canoeing and stuff, I was always, questioning myself saying why am i doing this you know is it just for me am i just taking and it's such a big thing at the moment the thing about environment and ocean plastic and things like that and i just personally see the outdoors as a wonderful medium to educate people about those values and create a more safer healthy future for future generations so i was just wondering if it kind of led to any of those values but at the moment it seems like you just use it for your uh, your, your own joy oh, I, I very much i very much use it as an educational tool uh, i very much use it as an educational tool yeah um if you have any um and for, for me for, for my entire life i remember being at school you know i'm 44 now so you're talking 26 years ago 28 years ago at school i was uh, critically aware 28 years ago about global warming yeah. as be aware about recycling 28 years ago i was very lucky yeah. uh, that was a value system that was imparted onto me by my, my my sister and my brother-in-law who run a gorgeous eco guest house yes um and even my geography teacher back then was was very environmentally aware and so i've i've made sure that my my ethics which i i hope are, are pretty high and pretty stringent when it comes to conservation and education are imparted in the outdoors mm-hmm. um because when you're in the outdoor environment, it's less yeah. abstract. You, it's very difficult to talk about litter 
um, when it's on a video screen in front of you and you're talking about islands of pollution in the middle of the ocean and yes. you know, seabirds and, and fish being surrounded by litter. But if you're paddling down a river somewhere and you see a ton of polystyrene being chucked out of a factory somewhere or a bunch of kids that are just throwing crisp packets in, you'll, you can then educate people on the immediate impact and the effect that you have as an individual person. Yeah. So that's, that's a big thing for me. Yeah, but I also uh, enjoy, I think the environment has a wonderful thing to give to us, which is uh, yeah. I mean, so is that something that's in the back of your mind, or is it something that's in the front of your mind when you go about your daily business? Oh, it's massively in front of my mind. Yeah, massively in front of my mind. I, I just I just led a, a canoe trip in Scotland uh, with a group, and uh, at the very start of the trip, I set up the trip. I pre-frame the trip as you know anybody can do uh, a walk in the outdoors. Anybody can do a paddling trip. Anyone can go and buy the stuff and mm-hmm. go and do it, but it takes a real high level of skill to go and do it and leave no trace. No one yes. knows you're there. I have yeah. no impact. And I've, I've put several videos out on Facebook about how, sorry, not Facebook on, on YouTube on how to, how to do things without impact. It's, it's extremely important to me that whatever we're doing, we're doing it ecologically. Yeah. Um, and that goes for the kind of ecology of the person I'm working with. And it goes for the environmental ecology as well. Yeah. So do you see a crossover between your interests in NLP, hypnosis, personal development with, with the outdoor environment? Um, well, I can tell you how I got into it. Uh, I, I still wrestle with the idea in my mind about how, how the two work together. And I, <laughs> I, I still look at it and go, well, how does that work? But I, I certainly use the two together. Um, but I, I got into the NLP world uh, and I got into the hypnosis world um, because I wanted to to help people in the activities I was doing uh, quickly and easily. Yeah. I, I worked at it, looked at it at a very simple point of view. If I'm abseiling people, I'm, I'm going into caves, I'm going into water, uh, I'm going into confined spaces, I'm going to dark places, I'm dealing with the sort of the five big phobias. And the five big phobias are, you know, I don't like heights, I don't like small spaces, I don't like the dark. Every day. Yeah. Every day I'm dealing with this stuff. I'm dealing yeah. with people who've got these apprehensions. And I, I used to live next door to uh, a chartered clinical psychologist for the NHS. And she, she sort of looked at me one day and she said, yeah, I think you probably deal with more phobias around those issues every day than I do whilst I'm working as a clinical psychologist. I went, yeah, probably do. Uh, and so that, that made me think, oh, well, perhaps it'd be a good idea to get some skills to, to work with people, to, to help them through stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah that's that's that kind of got me into the nlp world i didn't know about nlp i hadn't heard of nlp but um i, I looked at counseling and i thought well i can't really see me sitting on a rock face and talking to somebody for several hours on 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 how to how to feel better mm-hmm. and uh, I thought, well that's probably not what i want to do so I, I looked into nlp did some training in it and um yeah i use it all the time now I use it linguistically. So sometimes people don't realize I'm doing it, which is kind of nice. It's tweaking the mindset, tweaking the, the frame of which they're looking through. Mm. I think that's quite nice to be able to do things. Um, yeah. I'll use the word covertly, but I'd say in a, in a quiet way, in a subtle way. Yeah. Uh, and, and then you probably don't realize that you're doing it because you've done it so much. Yeah. Yeah. Some of the courses, thing. Some of the yeah. courses I advertise, I actually say, you know, I'll, I'll tra- give you some skills on how to, to work with people psychologically as well, whilst I'm, I'm training aspirant instructors. And I have had a couple of people say to me at the end of the course, well, when are we going to do the training on psychological techniques? And I said, well, well, when we did this, do you remember when we did this? And yeah, yeah. So that was an example of it. And they go, 
oh wow so you don't have to be doing now doing it you know kind of overtly no you can just do it quietly linguistically and yeah. they get they have that little epiphany so uh, that's how i got into the outdoor into the nlp world i wanted a, a skill set that would help people through those little phobic responses they were getting in the outdoors and and of course uh, that that then that, that then to generates out into the rest of my my life and the way i work with people outdoors of the outdoors awesome so yeah you've obviously mentioned about people that have inspired you who were your greatest inspirations you mentioned that guy before who was like your early mentor um is there any other people or any other books you've read i mean what what your big inspirational moments or people just um just think of the word inspiration uh, in inspiration, just just thinking inspiration. Um, you know, I, I've I've listened to a lot of podcasts, and uh, I, I, I've listened to a lot of podcasts and done, and done quite a lot of training with people. And I can truly, honestly say, I don't get inspired by books or by podcasts. That's really not inspiring to me. But I get uh, inspired by what I see people do. Um, so I, I would say the. The, the people that have inspired me are the ones that have done stuff uh, practically with people over many years. Yeah. Exotic lives and done really cool things. Um, my, my both, unfortunately now, both my mentors uh, passed away. Um, so I, I can look back on, on, on kind of high regard that I was lucky enough to train with them. But my mentors were a guy called uh, Dave Edwards, who was a, a caving instructor and a guy called Vin Machin, who was a, mm-hmm. a climbing instructor. And, um, they were just, you know, blokey blokes, but they, they lived really cool lives um, doing what they loved as a passion. And that, for me, um, was, the, was the inspiration to, to be able to live a life where I could do what I loved and engage with people in a way that they loved to do it as well. And yeah. I would see them develop. Oh, wow, you've got me going now, um, all the images <laughs> and stuff. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So yeah. you... I guess it wasn't, it, it was, it was what the way they were living their lives that I found inspiring. They yeah. would get to climb, they were getting to cave, they're getting to canoe every day and go to these really cool places. And, and they weren't just doing it in an egotistical way of, you know, look at me, I'm brilliant. I'm at the top of the mountain. I'm yeah. They were doing it in a way that says, look at me and I'll, you, I can help you too. And you can come with us and you can have this wonderful experience. And I thought, what a great way to live your life. To, to go and do really cool things and to take people with you and inspire them to do it. And that, for me, was, was fundamental. So, yeah, that was my big inspiration, to go and do really cool things and, and to take people there or to show people how to do it themselves. That was, that was what it was all about. You just revived something in me, which was the memory of watching a really old video, probably on Betamax, which was uh, the trip down the Dude Cozy with Mike oh. and Mick Hopkinson. And they've got yeah. like terrible buoyancy. It's on really frail helmets. Yeah. And they're kayaking down a river all the way down the side of Everest. There was yeah. that. And I was like, it's so inspiring. It's on YouTube. Yeah. And, um, Mike Jones and Mick Hopkinson, who I've actually met in New Zealand. I did some kayaking. Uh, it is his New Zealand kayak school and a very nice guy. Um, and the other thing that inspired me on a similar level to you was um, that little video by Bill Mason, Paddle to the Sea. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's just where a little Indian boy carves out a little wooden canoe, a little model of a wooden canoe, 
puts it on the snow on a hill, waits for the snow to thaw, then the canoe goes off on its journey through Canada. Oh, um, that's, that's magical. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. I was talking about Bill Mason yesterday. To, uh, I, had, I had a family. Um, I was uh, working with a family and teaching them some uh, basic expedition skills. And uh, they said, is there anything I can watch? I said, well, go on to YouTube and find some videos by Bill Mason. Yeah. I basically said that uh, he was the first guy, really, that, that, that turned canoeing from, a, from almost like an industrial activity because it was a, as a method of transportation for hunting and transporting goods. Yeah. He was the kind of guy that popularized it into a, into a recreational activity. And everybody went, oh, that's really cool. And uh, I think those inspiring stories of uh, spending summers in a canoe in Canada, I just thought were, were magical. I thought that's the kind of life that people have um, memory creation from. And yeah. I, th- I think that's probably, when I think about it, that's the underlying philosophy of my life is to help people and, and, and to do things for myself where you're doing memory creation. You're, yeah. you're helping people get experiences that they can in- develop from and helping people get those experiences that they can develop from and uh, have great pleasure from. And when they get older, they can, they can relive those experiences and realize they've had a fantastic life. Yeah. Life is about experiences. It's about developing your skill set and developing your schema. It is not about accumulating possessions. Okay. Yeah. The possessions should be there to help you get experiences. Mm-hmm. So you're not buying a new TV to feel better because you went buying um uh, some a canoe trolley can, for me a, a canoe trolley or you know a, 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 example. a diving um if you, you know buy, buying new diving equipment to go diving but the point is that you're buying equipment to have experiences right. rather than just yeah. to own a possession just because it's new you know and that's that's the biggest mistake people make in life is they go through life buying stuff to temporarily make themselves themselves feel better yeah. And all the evidence now is in from uh, kind of longitudinal studies that the people that have the, the highest level of mental health are the ones that are having um, uh, great experiences and, and basically spending their time and their energy living their life rather yeah. than spectating their life. And it's usually people who have a long-term focus, so they're, they're looking down the river rather than just looking at that rock. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's funny you should say that, talking about long-term focus. You're obviously talking in like a time-based thing there. And uh, time-based, uh, uh, like you're using a metaphor of a river. And one of the, one of the key successes for a, a life is to manage time properly. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was actually going to do a podcast on it myself. I've got quite a few clients that, um, that are really successful in the activities I coach them in and train them in. And, and the simple thing is they all of them are much like myself. They manage their time. They, yes. they constantly get the diary out and they go, right, when am I going on my next canoe expedition? When am I next going on my next caving trip? Yeah. And they, they don't live reactive lives. They don't, exactly. get, they don't get to the weekend on a Friday and go, oh, what are we doing this free ca- weekend? Because, this weekend, oh, I like that one. <laughs> weekend, exactly. The, the freaking weekend, yeah. They're, they're constantly putting things in the diary. And it's, it's simple stuff like, well, Four months from now, I'm going to go on a canoe trip. And yeah. to go on a particular canoe trip, I need this one or two bits of kit and there's one or two skills. So mm-hmm. that it's planning. And if you can manage your life by putting things in the diary, booking it in and doing it, mm-hmm. then you'll actually go through life um, having done more and experienced more and developed your schema. And you'll have yeah. a much better, much, much better time. I mean, discipline seems like a dirty word, but it's often the discipline that gives you the freedom. Um, 
Yeah, it's paradoxical. I, I use the uh, I use the phrase, um, if you want to be reactive, you want to be proactive. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to steal that. I'm going to steal, if you want to be reactive, uh, well, be pro- what is it? If you want if to be proactive, reactive, learn to be proactive. Yeah. yeah. And I'm going to steal from you as well. Um, let's see. Let's see. Yeah. Let, let's see. Yeah. Let's, <laughs> let's go find out. Let's, we will see. Excellent. So, I mean, we've covered a lot of stuff there. It's been quite a long podcast, but it's been very informative and very in-depth from my point of view. So thank you very much for that, Adam. You're most welcome. I've got one tiny little question, which has got a bit of humour and provocation attached to it at the end. <laughs> okay. Why are all men in the outdoors grumpy bastards? I'm not a grumpy bastard. <laughs> Not you, but all men. They're all they're all called Dave's have got beards and the grumpy buggers. Oh yeah, yeah. They're all called Dave's have got beards and grumpy buggers. Oh well, I think it's um uh, they're, they're living very disenfranchised lives. Let's put it that way. They're, yeah. they're not doing what they want to do. So but, uh, yeah, I don't have that problem personally. <laughs> I occasionally have a beard, and I'm sometimes grumpy, but it's usually because I've not eaten enough or slept enough. Well, my beard's developing. <laughs> yeah. So there we go. I thought I'd throw that in there anyway because I have met some really grumpy people in the outdoors and I said, why are you grumpy? But I've also met some people who are absolutely like totally at ease with themselves and free and like yourself. Well, I, think, I think one of the problems, this is my humble opinion, one of the problems that some people get grumpy in the outdoors is because they're not doing what they want to do. Mm-hmm. Some people get into the outdoors, and, and this is my opinion, they, they become a, a climbing instructor because they want to climb. Okay, but the big mistake is that when you become a climbing instructor, you're not climbing because you you like the climbing. You're climbing for other people. Yeah. So the grumpy ones are the ones that are not doing the activity because they love the activity. Yeah. The happy ones are doing the activity because they love doing the activity with other people. So that the mindset change areas is about the people they're with. And the people that their, their focus should be about people and people learning, not the climbing. So the yeah. joy, yeah. the joy for the instructors that get the biggest joy are the ones that see the clients engaging and developing. Those are the instructors that have got the big smiles on the faces to yeah. see anybody from a kid to an adult, from a male to a female, from I don't matter what their generic is. But to see that person develop, that's the thing that makes an instructor happy if the instructor has got that mindset of a person. And the other instructors that are thinking about the activity are always feeling under-challenged and under-inspired, and they want to go off and do their own climbing rather than climbing with people. Yeah, so you need to be a people person as well. Absolutely. Yeah, there's no point in getting into the outdoors just because you want to go climbing. If you want to do that, get a job and go climbing in your own time. Right. If, yeah. you want to, if you want to get in the outdoors and develop people and take people on journeys, metaphorical journeys and physical journeys, you need to have A, the technical skill set and B, the interpersonal skill set. That's the key to a successful life in the outdoors. Awesome. Well, thank you very much for taking the time, Adam. We've come to the My end time. of podcast number four, which is the Growth Mindsets podcast designed to help you go from mind stuck to mindset usually within 30 minutes. (laughs) And yeah, it's been fantastic having Adam on board and I look forward to catching up with him very soon, either socially or in the outdoors. So so from me, Jay, on it, and a big thanks to you, Adam. Cheers. You're most welcome. Nice to see you, Jay. Cheers. Goodbye.